Today we start a five-week journey of discovery. We're taking the time to study a type of life that most Christians say they want, but few Christians understand how to achieve. It's the type of life that we read about in books. It's the type of life that we admire in many of the great giants of the faith. It's a type of life that God uses in order to transform family legacies and to change the direction of communities and to engage nations. It's a type of life that is unlimited in its potential. What I'm describing is a life that is fully lived in God's presence, a life that is regularly engaged in God's activity, and a life that is continually experiencing God's favor. There's three parts. It's God's presence, it's God's activity, and it's God's favor. Where you find one, you will find the other two. And you will find that they move in equal proportions to each other. Now somebody might say, Paul, I don't know if I fully understand what you're talking about because God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time, so God is always present. And since God does not clock out at the end of the day, and since God does not sleep, then he is always active. He is always at work. And as believers who have been saved by grace through faith, by definition alone, we are already under the favor of God. So I'm not sure if I quite understand what you mean about people experiencing God's presence and God's activity and God's favor. Don't we already have that? I would say yes and also a no. God is always present. He is always active. And yes, we are recipients of God's grace in his favor. All of that is 100% true. But there are times when God, according to his wisdom and design, chooses to reveal himself, to manifest himself. His presence in a way that is so profoundly recognizable. His activity in a way that is so exciting and encouraging. His favor just goes above and beyond what we could imagine, that it literally stops us in our tracks, and we have to reflect for a few moments about the greatness of God. When you've experienced one of those moments, you know it. And when you've experienced it, you want more of it. I'm so glad that you all have been in the room just this morning because I don't know if you know it, we just had one of those moments. There's a moment in which you can be singing some of the same songs and you can be with the same people, but there's something unique in the way that God's spirit moves at a particular moment in time. So sometimes you'll experience those moments in a worship service or maybe there is biblical understanding that it's like God opened your your mind and your heart to, or, or maybe there's this time of prayer, that those moments are so holy, they are so intimate, that you, you just don't want to be in. You don't want to lose the moment. You don't want to walk away from the moment. You, you simply want to sit in that moment with God. And when somebody was not in that same situation with you, and they say, well, describe it to me, you can't fully describe it to them. 
You can tell them the basics of what was happening, but there's something about being there in that moment that all you can do is say, it felt as though God was so close, I could reach out and touch him in that moment. It was that real. Okay, is God always present? Yes. But there's some moments where his presence is so powerfully defined that you recognize it when you're in that moment. Or maybe you've gone through a period of discouragement. And as you've prayed, the situation just has gone from bad to worse. And, and it's overwhelmed your mind to the point that you are now physically and emotionally and spiritually exhausted. And, and you come to church on a Sunday because you know that's what you should do, but you're not really sure what's going to happen. All you can say is you get there, and it's like God was waiting on you. Because every song pinpoints another fear that's in your life. And then there was a passage that God gave you on Tuesday that you didn't understand. And that happens to be the exact text the pastor's preaching on that morning. And all of a sudden, there's application that comes out. And you can see what God was doing. And then there's like three people who independently come to you after the service. And they'll say, God put you on my heart this last week. And I've been praying for you. What can I do to help? And all you know is you walked into a building discouraged and overwhelmed and feeling alone. And inside of an hour, you walk out encouraged and lifted and seen. And somebody says, what happened? All you can say is, God blessed me. It was like he tailor-made a service around what was happening in my life at that moment. Does God always bless and bring favor? Yes. But there's some moments that are so powerfully unique they just stand out. You can see these types of God moments, our divine encounters. They happen in our lives. You find them in Scripture. They happen in, in the lives of those that are around you. And there is something so beautiful about them because it brings this fresh awareness to the presence of God that he sees and he knows and he provides. And it's these moments. They're so unique that you don't even have to be in it yourself. You can still see it when it's happening around you. So when you sit in a worship service and 30 people come to faith in Christ, you walk out and what do you say? God was all over that service. Or when you're, you're singing worship songs to God and, and people are coming to an altar and they're, they're pouring their heart out before God and all you could do is say, like, God was moving in that service. Or, or maybe it's a situation where God's opening doors that nobody else could open. Or, or maybe he has healed people in ways that defy medical explanation. Or, or maybe he's answering prayers that you didn't know anyone but you and God even knew about. But when it happens, you're like, that's God. God's the one who did that. Yes, he's always present. Yes, he is always active. Yes, we are resting under his favor. But there's moments along the way that are so strong with the presence of God that you're like, God, would you do more of that? May I, may I not lose the joy and the excitement in that? See, those moments are the moments that we're studying in this particular series. God moments, divine encounters, outpourings of God's spirit. What does it look like for individuals and for an entire church body 
to rest under those areas and to experience God's favor like that. In his book, Experiencing God, Henry Blackaby gave a famous quote. He said, watch to see where God is working and join him in his work. Great advice. This is a series where we are learning to be watchers and workers with God. But more than just watchers and workers, we're talking about how do we stay in the middle of that work and how do we not get distracted away from the mission that God has called us to. Now, I want you to know from the very beginning, this is a message series where the truths that we're going to unpack can be applied individually, they can be applied within your family, they can be applied within your friend group, and they can also be applied within an entire church setting. And I'm gonna focus primarily on a church setting, and there's gonna be moments that I bring up about the individual pieces, but I want us to see how do we walk through these truths together. Now, I got one final thing I need to say before we go any further in this. I am going to be very open and candid with you all about some things that God has been working on in my life. And specifically, some things that God has been challenging or directing that came through my sabbatical back in July. And I, I want you to, to understand these pieces because they impact the calling he placed on my life as a pastor, and that directly impacts the way I serve right here at Sherwood. So a part of this feels weird to me. And the reason it feels weird is not because I am, I'm embarrassed about what he's sharing or teaching. It feels weird because I don't want the focus today to in any way be on me when the entire focus of the series is on God. But it's important that you all understand what's happening because when I get passionate about certain truths and veins pop out of the side of my neck, and I break a sweat, and it feels like I'm yelling at people, and I'm really just excited about it. You need to understand what he's doing in my heart to understand where God's leading in my life. And here's the other reason I think this is important. Because in my conversations with people in this church, I think God's doing the same thing in a lot of people's heart. And when he's moving in my heart in one way, and he's moving in your heart in one way, and we recognize that, guess what? We get to pull together in the same direction towards what God has for us in the future. We got a lot to cover this morning. Without any further ado, I invite you to go with me in your Bibles today to the book of Psalms, chapter number 127. We're going to be in verse number 1. Psalm 127, verse number 1. I am speaking this morning on the subject, when we see the need, when we see the need. Psalm 127, verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Let's pray. Father. We need your spirit to walk us through this. Lord, we need you, we need you, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today is about painting a picture, and it's also about showing a specific need. I'm going to do my best to bring together multiple streams of thought, not only towards this passage, but also out of this passage so we, we get everything started in Psalm 127 because there is a desperate call and a response for wisdom. 
And I think this is fitting because we've just come out of three weeks where the focus was on wisdom. We talked about displayed wisdom and worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And what we find in this text is Psalm 127, it challenges believers to wisely choose a life that is God-centered in every way. And we need to be reminded of that. It's far too easy for us to just settle into our routines. It's far too easy for us to just simply go to work and pay bills and raise families and, and try to get a vacation here and there, try to do some things that maybe protect our, our assets. We just get into the routines of life. And what this text is doing is challenging people to be God-centered in every possible way. The phrase builds the house, it may refer to an actual construction of a home, or it can also refer to building of a family. The text talks about protection of a city. And many of you know that in ancient times, a lot of your cities, they had major walls that went all the way around them to protect them from possible enemy attacks. And in times of uncertainty, a city would expend a lot of energy and time and resources and people in order to protect that particular city. And those things were necessary, but this is a text that reminds us of the fact that our ultimate security has to be in God and in God alone. If we think that higher walls are more watchmen, are greater defenses, are going to bring our ultimate protection, we are sadly mistaken. A mud fence with God is better than a high fortress without him. The old saying goes, little is much when God is in it. So finally, this text, it encourages us to have balance between how we work and who we trust. Please understand, it's not that we don't work. We're gonna work. There's work to be done. There's, we're to be about the Father's business. It's not that we don't work. The, the issue comes back to who do we ultimately trust? Do we trust that it's in the labor of our work, it's in the focus of our work, in the intensity of our work, in the resources of our work? Or do we say, God, we're going to do everything you've called us to, but ultimately you have to be the one to do the work? Here's your key thought that we're going to work out today. Obedience requires effort, but our faith must remain solely in God. Obedience requires effort, but our faith must remain solely in God. God has to be the one to do the work. So as you come out of this text, just remember what it says. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord guards the city, they labor in vain and they watch in vain. And that's not only for us individually, that's also for groups and cities corporately. So I want you to hold that idea, and now I want to merge four different streams of thought into one hopefully river of continuity that describes God's activity. So there's going to be four streams coming together. The first, I'm going to talk about a missiological stream that focuses on God's activity among the nations over the last 2,000 years. I'm gonna spend about five minutes there. Then we're gonna go through and I'm gonna talk about there's a Sherwood stream that focuses on God's activity and what he's been doing at this church for over 67 years. Then I'm going to share a personal stream. This is, this is what God has been doing in my life for almost 25 years as a pastor and what I'm praying he's going to do for another 25 to 30. 
And then there's going to be a stewardship stream that I get into here. And this is going to focus on each of us recognizing God's presence and living in his activity and experiencing his favor, not only for now, but praying that we would see that for generations to come. So here's the missiological stream. And these are important pieces to understand. If you study God's activity and God's presence and God's movement among the nations over the last 2,000 years, what you will find is not only very exciting news, but also what could be described as very disturbing news. So let's kind of set it up. Christianity is birthed in Israel. Christianity is birthed there right in the Middle East. And for the first several years, that's where the primary concentration of the gospel and Christianity was found. But then what takes place is through the missionary journeys of God's people, they begin to take the gospel north into Asia and they begin to move west into Europe. And when they begin to make those certain moves, you'll notice that the gospel and Christianity goes and it transforms countries and it defines governing documents and it, and it impacts culture. You find that everywhere Christianity goes, it has a major impact. So almost for 1,400 years, you will find Christianity primarily focused in Europe, in Asia, and in the Middle East. Yes, there's other smaller pockets, but that's the primary focus during that time. But then what you find is with the birth of the nation of America, you find Christianity jumps the Atlantic and it settles into the Northeast. That's where the primary settlements were at. And you begin to see that those same pieces began to define culture. And then as people began to move south, you begin to see Christianity and the spread of the gospel move south. And over time, you begin to see things move west and it goes out towards the west coast. All of those pieces begin to show channels of God's activity. Now, here's the reason that is so important. In the last 125 years, you can now begin to trace missionary movement that started primarily in America and how they moved out from America, impacting not only what's happening throughout Southeast Asia, but what's taking place in Africa as well as in Latin America. To give you an idea of this, in 1800, there were a few hundred missionaries around the world, and only 1% of Protestant Christians lived in Asia, Africa, and in Latin America. By 1900, there's over 15,000 missionaries around the world, and almost 10% of the population of those countries and regions were now Protestant Christians. Today, the largest movements of God's activity are still taking place in Southeast Asia, in Africa, as well as in Latin America. Those parts are exciting. You can see the spread of the gospel. You can see God taking it to the ends of the earth. Here's the part that becomes disturbing. If you follow that trail backwards, it is a spiritual wasteland. When you begin to see what's happening in America today, it is rapidly becoming a post-Christian culture. Did you know that the Southeast, a.k.a. the Bible Belt, is one of the regions that has the fastest number of churches closing their doors out of any place in the country right now? If you go to the Northeast, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a gospel-centered church. 
If you go to Europe right now, you're gonna be hard-pressed to find gospel-centered churches. If you go into Central Asia, you're going to experience the same thing. You go back into the Middle East, you go into Israel, you go into the, the cradle of Christianity itself, and you're gonna find in that area, usually it's less than 1% are evangelical Christians. And the, the reason this is such a powerful piece is I don't know how to fully explain it other than to say when people have been exposed to the gospel for multiple generations and when the fire of God's mission has been replaced with lukewarm religion and spiritual apathy, God's spirit and God's activity continues to march forward in order to reach those who have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ or to settle in among those who are gonna be serious about the Father's business. It is not to say that God's spirit has been removed from this nation. It's not to say that there are not gospel-centered churches all around. It's not to say that, that the only activity of God came out of America. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is you can watch the major progression of Christianity moving throughout the nations and it's going to follow that particular pattern. And this is the reason it's so important for us. When God's people replace the mission with dead religion, it's only a matter of time before the presence and the power of God moves from that spot to another spot. So now let's talk about the Sherwood stream. Let's bring it in. For more than six decades, Sherwood has been blessed to experience the active movement of God's Spirit. Sherwood has been blessed to be one of those unusual pockets where just year after year, people could come and experience the presence of God and the activity of God and the favor of God. As members of Sherwood have prayed that God would lead, as members of Sherwood have prayed, God, would you use us? As members of Sherwood have been willing to submit to God's will to move forward, God has been faithful to this church, unbelievably faithful. And remember, obedience requires effort but our faith must remain solely upon God. He has to be the one who gets the credit for this. He has to be the one to get the praise for what has happened. I do not know of another church in America that has been more blessed, that has been more used, that has more resources at its disposal to be used to reach the nations for the cause of Christ than Sherwood. Sherwood is an anomaly in southwest Georgia. What I mean by that is this is not a massive city. Albany is not a massive city. There's not millions who live here. There's not mega churches on every corner. The fact that God has grown a church of this size in this city below the Nat line is nothing but miraculous. It, it is a story that can only be explained by the fact God has a plan for this group and he has chosen to sovereignly set up a part of his activity as an outpost right here in southwest Georgia. Sherwood has been blessed. Here's the question though that I've been wrestling through. What 
will the story of Sherwood look like in the future? Scripture is very clear in this. God's activity in the past does not guarantee God's favor for the future. Scripture is clear in that. Church history is clear in that. Every year in America, close to 5,000 churches close their doors every year. That means this morning, about 100 churches will close their doors for the last time. Last week, I was walking through churches around the country, churches that some of those are either almost dead or some that had completely closed. And, and I got some pictures I just want you to see. And, and in these pictures, you're looking at rooms that used to be filled with hundreds of people in worship. And now entryways are holding lawn equipment. There's church covenants that are still up on the walls in these different places. There's children's rooms that have little kid stuff and they're now vacant. You've got cribs that are sitting there vacant. You've got little chairs that are stacked up that used to be filled with kids each Sunday hearing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now these churches are empty. They're empty. They're, they're closed. And when you talk to the people who were a part of those churches, here's what they'll say. I can remember a time when hundreds were here. I can remember when our VBS was reaching this entire city. My grandparents got married in this church. My parents were, were ushers or they served in the choir in this church. I got saved and baptized in this church. And now it's closed a gospel lighthouse for that community has gone out. And those memories and thoughts are not just in a handful of people. It's experienced by millions and millions of believers in this country every single day. And as people come to Sherwood, you almost inevitably know the conversation is going to move to what God is doing in this place. What the conversation quickly turns to God is alive and he's moving in here. And, and people will say, I don't know the last time I experienced and, and felt God's presence like what I did in that service. And, and God was moving through the entire service and my kids, they're learning about Jesus and, and God has transformed my life. And I thought I was a Christian. Then I came here and God radically saved me in this place. Those conversations happen day by day by day. And I've been saying the same thing for over 25 years in ministry. Don't ever get used to the activity of God. Don't ever get used to it. Don't ever get to a place when the word of God being proclaimed does not stir your heart. Do not get to a place that you're so calloused that the worship of God's people as we adore our Lord and Savior no longer moves you. Do not get to a place when people getting baptized on a Sunday morning, that's just church life going on. Don't ever get to a place that whenever children are being dedicated to the Lord that you say, that's just Mother's Day or that's just another date. Don't ever get to a place when people coming to the altar in the middle of worship doesn't stir you with the fact that God is moving. Don't ever get used to the activity of God when apathy replaces the mission of God. It is not long before you see the power and the presence and the favor of God 
move to a group who's going to be serious about his business. So I ponder questions like, why does God remove his power from a church? Did they lose sight of the mission? Did they stop preaching the word? Did they stop proclaiming the gospel? Did they stop begging God to show up and and meet with them? Like, why does he do that? And these types of questions, they, they keep leading into areas of prayer and journaling thoughts. And I just keep praying, God, God, help us steward your favor well. God, help us not get used to what you're doing here. God, may you continue to stir our hearts with your activity. God, when you prompt, when you prompt, when you say, move this way, Lord God, may it be so clear in our hearts that we just, as a group, turn and move that way. When when God brings people under conviction of sin in their life, may we be known as a place that we're going to get right with God fast. We're not going to keep running Sunday to Sunday and playing church. We're, We're going to be a part of the body of Christ that is moved in his presence and experiencing his activity and resting under his favor. My prayer is, God, help us not get past that. Our decisions today will impact God's story at Sherwood tomorrow. Our decisions today. So now I want to bring in this personal stream for just a moment. You've already heard a part of where my heart is in this, but let me give you a couple other specifics. In July, I was blessed to be able to take a four-week sabbatical, and it was timely, and it was spiritually enriching. It was deeply, deeply clarifying. I am... 50 years old right now. I've been a pastor for almost 25 years. And I don't know if it's because of this point in my life, but I'm just processing, like, what does the next part of life look like? If God were to allow me to live to be 75 or 80 years old, I'm praying he'll give me another 25, 30 years of ministry. But I'm also praying, God, what do you want it to look like? Like, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to coast in my Christian life. I don't want to be at a place where it's like, this is what I've always done, so this is what we're just going to focus in on. I I want it to be fresh. I want it to be hot. I want it to be that day by day, he is stirring my affections, and he's directing my life, and and he's pouring his word into me, and I'm meeting with him so that when I get up and preach on a Sunday morning, it's not some warmed-up message that I preached 10 years ago, but it was fresh out the oven with God this last week. I I want that to be a part of my life, but I'm, I'm just praying, God, what do you want the next 25 to 30 years to look like? Where do you want me to focus Are there things that you want me to abandon? Are there things you want me to change? Are there areas in my life right now that are not in alignment with what it needs to be for the next next 25 to 30 years? And I'm going to tell you, as I was praying, there's two things he keeps bringing up, and both of them scare me to death. They might not scare you. They scare me. Here's the two pieces he keeps bringing up. Spirit-led living and prayer. Spirit-led living in prayer. God graciously has helped me see more and more that in past ministry, I have relied more heavily upon personal gifting and work ethic than I have upon spirit-led living and prayer. It is not 
It is not that I have not prayed. It is not that I have not asked God to clearly guide me and to guide the church. But I've began to notice he keeps showing me situation after situation that he had to back me into a corner of dependence before I was willing to stop trying to do it myself and simply trust him to do it. Proverbs 3.5 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. God is showing me multiple ways where I'm leaning on what I've learned or on what I'm experienced as opposed to moment by moment saying, God, I understand that and you may use it here again, but God, I don't want to just think I know what the next step is. Zechariah 4.6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I can think of too many situations where I tried to muscle my way through that situation or work my way through that situation or resource my way through that situation instead of pray and depend on God to take us through that situation. He is showing me that I struggle heavily in the area of spirit-led living. The idea of spirit-led living, that's this idea of, of trusting and being led by his spirit moment by moment, decision by decision, day by day. That is terrifying to me. And you, some of you know I'm a, I'm a planner. I like my calendars. I like my schedules. I like my to-do list. And I can't tell you everything there is to know about spirit-led living, but it seems like there's a whole lot of that that is not prearranged. When I get up in the morning, I like to know where my plan is and I like to work my plan. I like to go to bed at night saying the plan has been worked. And spirit-led living does not seem to line up with that. There's times that he's going to lead me to do something in the moment that I'm, I, I'm, I'm wrestling with him. I'm like, but God, I got to get this done first. And he's like, no, you don't. That's not my plan at that moment. And to, to think about what that looks like to open up my hands and say, for the next 25 years of ministry in life, Lord, what would you do if I just simply opened up my hands and let you lead the way you desire? About that time, Henry Blackaby came after me. Henry's working me over. Listen to what he says. If Christians around the world were to suddenly renounce their personal agendas, their life goals and their aspirations, and begin responding in radical obedience to everything God showed them, the world would be turned upside down overnight. How do we know? Because that's what first century Christians did, and the world is still talking about it. And then he went on, he said, we don't choose what we will do for God. He invites us to join him where he wants to involve us. I'm like, Lord, Henry's killing me this morning. Every time I think I'm going this direction, God uses that man. He uses other resources to say, no, get back on the path, back on the path. Since arriving at Sherwood, I've been praying, God, would you give us your vision for this church? And I believe God has clearly been answering those things. But here's the, the piece that every time I'm praying, he brings us up about prayer. I've shared it with you before. The statement that keeps sitting in my mind is your prayer life is woefully inadequate for the task before you. 
Over and over again, everywhere I look, he's reminding me of the importance of prayer and the need of prayer and the urgency of prayer and the necessity of prayer and the power of prayer and the joy of prayer. Everywhere I look, I'm reminded that unless God's spirit moves in a heart, no change is going to happen. Unless God's spirit quickens a dead spirit, they remain dead. Unless God's spirit illumines a deceived mind, unless God's spirit moves someone from death to life, unless God through his spirit raises up another generation of godly men, unless God through his spirit raises up another generation of godly women, unless God through his spirit is working in the church, we labor in vain who try to build the house. He keeps reminding me it's not about us. It's only going to be about him. Every time I get in those places, the thought comes to my mind, what in your life resembles first century Christianity? Do your prayers resemble the prayers of someone who is desperate for God to move? Or are you using prayer like a spiritual garnish on your life? So here's the stewardship stream. The stewardship stream is, are we as a group going to steward the presence of God well? My question for you is, do any of these same things bother you? Do any of these same things call out to you? Like, has God been calling you to deeper areas of prayer? Has God been burdening your heart as you talk to family members and friends and and their churches are dying or their churches are are shutting down? Has God been stirring in your heart to say, what do we do? How can the body of Christ be about that? Are you concerned with the number of Christian teenagers who grow up in the church and they leave to go to college and they, they fall away from the things of God? Does that bother you? Could you imagine how heartbreaking it would be one day, 20 years from now, for you to walk your kids or your grandkids into this room on a Sunday morning and say, I know it doesn't seem like it now, but the power of God used to be all over this place. I, I know you don't see it because there's, there's so many empty chairs in the room, but it used to be that thousands would fill these rooms. It used to be that we would see week after week life change happening up in that Baptist tree right over there. It used to be that when the praises of God's people went up, you could look around the room and you could see the stories and you could understand the hurt and and you watched God radically move in hearts. I know it doesn't look like it right now, but right back there is where I got saved on a Sunday morning. God got all over me in that place. I know it doesn't feel like it now, but there was a time when you couldn't show up on this property and find a parking place. You were having to go down the road. Kids... You might not recognize it now, but there was a time when this was a church engaging the nations with the gospel, and we were making disciples, and we were about the next generation. I know it doesn't seem like it now, but there was a time when the power of God fell in this place. Can you imagine what it's like to have a conversation like that with your kids and your grandkids? There's a stewardship part of this. We have an opportunity 
to be about the Father's business as God is still actively moving. We have an opportunity to join in what he is doing around the world. Our obedience today will impact the story of Sherwood tomorrow. Unless God builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So here's how I want to close out. I just want to close out with prayer over this group. I'm going to ask if Seth, I'm going to ask if some of the pastors would come to the front, also some of those who are in our praise team. We're just going to finish out in a time of prayer. If those same types of things are burdening in your heart, then my, my ask of you today is would you join me in prayer over the next four weeks of this? Would you join me in praying that God's spirit would so move that we recognize his presence and we are about his activity and we are experiencing God's favor? I'm going to ask you if you would bow your heads for just a moment. Here's, here's the prayer that I've been praying for this church, and, and I'm, I'm just asking if it's a part of what's resonating with you, may it be a prayer prayed for you as well. God, I pray right now that as a group, we would walk with spiritual integrity. God, may we not talk revival and live apathy. But Lord, may we ask for more favor and blessing and activity and God welcome it moment by moment. Lord God, would you open our eyes to see what you're doing all around us. Would you help us see where you're active and where you're at work and Lord, may we join you in those things. God, I pray that for this group, those who are in the room right now, Lord, this is the group that you have entrusted with the next step, the next part of the journey of Sherwood. Lord, may we be faithful. May we be good stewards of it. God, may you use this church to strengthen the body of Christ all around us and to engage the nations with the gospel. God, help us to be a gospel lighthouse in this community. Lord, right now, I'm praying, would you raise up the next generation of preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ? May they be in the room and those watching online right now. God, I'm praying that you would raise up another generation of Christian businessmen and Christian businesswomen. I'm praying, God, that you would radically transform families, that, that we are not content to just simply do church. But Lord, we have a commission. We have a directive that is from you that we are to be about the Father's business. So Lord, would you raise up the next round of missionaries? Would you raise up and, and send out the next group of worship leaders and songwriters and actors and, and producers? God, would you do what only you can? Because God, we know unless you build the house, we're gonna labor in vain. So Lord, we're going to walk in obedience as best we know how, but our trust and our reliance is completely upon you. And God, when people ask what's going on, may we be quick not to be glory stealers. But Lord, may we simply say, it's only God. 
It's not that we figured anything out. It is that God is good and he is faithful and he is strong and he provides and he will make a way. Lord, may our testimony be it's only about you. God, you alone have to plant that fire in us. So Lord, as we close out and we sing a final song here, Lord, may you be stirring in the hearts of those that are here. In Jesus' name.